Welcome to the Business Trendsetter Podcast, where we teach you how to transform your business by understanding and using trends. My name is Manny Turan. And I'm Adam Hartung. And we are Spark Partners. To learn about how to grow your business through trends, go to our website at sparkpartners.com. And, you know, trend is a huge thing we talk about over and over and over again at Spark Partners because we believe that they're massively important to understand to how to grow your business by aligning with these trends. And we oftentimes, because of the nature of our business, you know, working with, uh, with executives and business owners that are looking forward, not backwards, but a little bit of what we talk about has to do with uh, on, about looking backwards in, in the sense of looking at case studies, looking at certain companies and decisions they made or didn't make, uh, lamenting over how Sears had an opportunity to, to really be the kingpin of e-commerce but walked away. Uh, uh, we talked about the success of Netflix and their ability to uh, jump to the next lily pad when the investors and, and all of the stockholders were like, what are you doing? And then a year later, oh, I see what you're doing. <laughs> so we have a rare opportunity right now to actually – to look behind the curtain of the Wizard of Oz and look to see what's happening uh, in effect right this minute. And I wanted to go back to one of our favorite uh, uh, swan songs here is, uh, well, really, Netflix has made a series of exits from one market or one way of doing business to another, uh, oftentimes to the chagrin of their investors. But here we are. Adam, talk to us about what happened last week with respect to Netflix, and, and then I'm going to talk about another company after that. Okay. Let's start off with, like you said, with the trend. What's the fastest growing sport in the world? And it's also the fastest growing sport in the United States. Of course, uh, e-games, right? Right, e-games. talked about this before. Uh, let's exclude the pandemic years. Coming right up to the pandemic, though, the attendance at the NFL, the National Hockey League, Major League Baseball, and NBA, attendance at all of those had declined. Same was true for NCAA sports. We had declined. Now, they weren't huge declines, but there were declines. They were getting smaller. The next thing was we could take a look at, um, for example, what's happening right now with the Olympics. You know, they said in the pandemic, well, let's just cancel it for a year. They did. Now they're trying to bring it back. And now it's not even sure. They may still cancel it before it gets a chance to take off this week. And the amazing thing is that nobody's screaming and yelling that it's horrible. I mean, everybody's kind of like, oh, Olympics, yeah, okay, whatever. But e-gaming and gaming is huge. Um, last quarter, uh, uh, Microsoft's uh, gaming division saw its revenue jump to $5 billion, like a 30% jump in revenues at Microsoft's gaming business. So what we have there is a trend. Now, the thing is, people can look at that and they can do absolutely nothing. But what Netflix did was last week, they announced that they were starting a new gaming division. Now, if you think about it, this, you know, first, you're kind of like, what? But that's kind of the history of Netflix, right? They were, once at one point in time, they were out there doing what? They were delivering VHS tapes and DVDs to people's houses, yep. right? They were a big right. logistics company. You know, they bought DVDs and then they sent them to people's homes, wait for them to come back. And they were pretty successful at that. They, they made it convenient. They made it inexpensive. And they were good enough at that that they drove Blockbuster out of business, right? So then here they are sitting on top of this business. They're doing really, really well. And bandwidth is exploding like crazy. And they're looking around. And they said, you know what? You know, our value proposition is to deliver entertainment. 
we should be delivering entertainment on streaming technology. So they went off and they started laying off the people in the, uh, that were doing the logistics. They cut the cost. They raised prices on the uh, physical distribution so they could get more money, and they poured the money into getting the talent to get into the streaming business. So they didn't have any experience at it. They didn't know anything about it. And at the time, the stock crashed. It's absolutely crashed because the analysts, you know, these 26 to 32-year-old Harvard MBA types that are living in New York, they said, oh, you should be focusing on your core, which is around delivering packages, and you should go after right, Amazon. exactly. And they said, no, that's not our core. That's just where our big asset base is. And that could become an anvil to us if we're not careful. So what we're going to do is we're going to go over and become a tech company, which they did. The stock recovered. Then they go down that road for a few years. And what happens? They start saying, Yee, man, there's so much out there. There's nothing that's going to stop other people from grabbing a hold of this streaming technology. It's going to become generic. And then they could stream you know, all this content that's out there. We're going to have to have our own content. Effectively, we're going to have to be like you know, the old NBC, ABC, BBC. We're going to have to have our own content. And they started making content. Once again, yep. didn't know anything about it. They bought a movie studio, effectively moved the, the center of power to um, L.A., and um, the, the, the tech guys got escorted out the door. And so now powers and content, right? Now come back again to what's their value proposition? Delivering entertainment. The biggest entertainment is gaming. And they said, okay, we're going to get in gaming. And so, so the analysts did the same thing. It's what shocks me. They sat there and said, well, wait a minute. This is going to be like you're, you're going to lose focus on your core business. <laughs> you're yeah. going to, you, know, you don't have the talent. You don't have the people in the company. You don't know what you're doing. Uh, you're going up a big against big competitors like Microsoft and, and Sony. And, uh, you know, so all first reaction is, oh, it's terrible. But if you take a look at the the numbers, too, they had stratospheric growth the first year of the pandemic. But now that the pandemic slowed down, their growth is slow. Now, they just announced earnings earning last week. Okay, the, the number of subscribers grew. It didn't get smaller. It actually grew, okay? Not at the rate it was in the pandemic. The, uh, it, it actually, the, the subscriber base and revenue numbers exceeded the analyst expectations. Earnings came in a bit below expectations. But what we see is growth, but not the growth that it had been. So they're sitting there saying, okay, how do we keep up this growth? How do we get more people on our platform? And they say, well, wait a minute, you know, we need to get these gamers on our platform. And then the other thing is they've always talked about interactivity. So you could have a, a but you can start somehow build in gaming into content shows, right? Have an interactive content show where the user participates in some way or another. Now, I'm not yes. an expert at this stuff, but what I do feel like is I feel like they are good at understanding how to pivot. They are good at hiring in the skill set and then having a white a blank space team there that can really focus on how do we make something new, different, exciting that will get us more subscribers, Get us more people that will come back in. So we keep the ones we have, but we just keep adding to it. And I think that's that's really a lot of the guts and, and what is Netflix. It's really this ability to think about where the customer is going and then put together what they, the, the, the team and giving them the resources and then having them figure out how to do it. And I just, when I look at the trend in gaming, I'm kind of like, I don't think these guys have a chance of failure. <laughs> yeah, it's remarkable that they're able to do that. Uh, do you remember what what a Nickelodeon is? You mean like the old fashioned machines in the in the they had a in, you put a nickel in and it actually you watched uh, the cards spin over in, inside the box. 
Exactly right. Remember the nickel? I don't remember them. Neither do you. But you remember what they are, at least historically. But now we kind of lament at them, thinking that ha ha ha, look at that. And then we had the advent of the silent movie, yeah. and now we look back and we're like, that's kind of weird. Ha ha ha. And then we look at the you know the movie theaters, and we we progress. Here we are progressing, and so in the next maybe twenty years. You're going to have, uh, you know, my kids are going to be my age, a little, little younger, but they're going to be in their 40s potentially. And they're going to be looking back saying, remember big Hollywood? Remember how that was something? That was so interesting. Right. And uh, they'll look back at Netflix, the old school Netflix. There was these, these DVDs that were sent around. And then they, and then they went to these, uh, the, the, they really pioneered the movies. Uh, I don't know if you watch any shows, Adam, but, uh, you know, me and my family were watch. We watched The Crown, great show, uh, produced by Netflix. Uh, we wa- we're watching Manifest, another show produced by Netflix. And so the days of big Hollywood are are pretty much numbered. It's going to become a Nickelodeon, old school. In the same way, potentially, they're going to be looking at this new world of gaming, of of uh, VR, of AR. And they're going to be looking back and say, remember when movies were just like this, this TV and all you did is watch something? You couldn't interact. Remember that? So we had this opportunity right now to look at what's happening in the transformation, the genesis of Netflix. You know, a hermit crab goes from shell to shell, and every time it gets a bigger shell, and that's how it grows. And here we are right at the precipice of this next generation of growth for Netflix. And those that, that don't understand that are going to be doomed to, to lose out on that. You can, I can imagine where you could have uh, a rebirth of the NFL, you know, where it's more powerful. But, for example, when people put an NFL game on Netflix, have a gaming interactive tool that's part of this, whether it's your laptop or your telephone or something, but that's your tool. Uh, you don't, consoles are what Microsoft uses, but everybody's moving towards other technology. So you got that tool. So I, I go to watch a football game and I sign on at the beginning. I have to pick a team. I'm for either team A or team B. Then as the game goes on, say every fifth or sixth or some play, it comes on and my thing says that for the next offensive play, do you want A, B, C, or D. And it gives you four options, and you can vote on what the play would be. And then everybody votes, tallies come in, and then they do it. And then after they run the play, you know, yeah, the, the B one, so we ran play B, this is how it worked out. Now what happens is you could start to get the people interactive in the game. You could start having them making calls. You could have a, in an NBA game, you could have people vote whether or not a referee made a call or it was a good non-call. Or, you know, you could have the interactivity around the referees, uh, what he's doing. So this is just the beginning. You could have people watching a show and they could at different junctures make a dis, you know, this character should do A, B, C, or D. And they could wind their way, create sort of their own show by having characters do certain things. So you'd have to shoot them thinking in advance, like a board game. You know, where would the character go? How would these things interact? But then me at home, I could maybe watch the same show three or four times when I could have characters do different things in the show and like a board game it will come out with a different solution at the end so there's a lot of things you can think of creatively other than just saying oh well they're going to you know do the games everybody else does you know they would there's a lot of creativity still available in the gaming realm that could 
create more interaction. And we know that interactivity is really a big part of where entertainment is going now. As you said, for years, it, you know, it was just sit back and watch. And, the, and yeah. what gaming is doing is just creating a generation of people that don't find that very interesting to just sit and watch. They want to somehow be participate in it. Um, it's yeah. like me. And so, and looking at what's coming next, if you really look at uh, look at the children, right? The the idea of they're going to be the consumer base of the future, and uh, you know I'll use my children as an example. They absolutely love gaming. They will play. They will watch a somebody gaming on their on their phone or tablet. Like literally, they're watching somebody else playing a game, talking about playing the game, and they yeah. enjoy that. They love doing that. And they will take that then, that iPad, and they'll put it next to their computer. And so now they're playing a game while watching somebody else talk about playing a game. Yeah. And that is the future of entertainment. And, you know, something else to say about, uh, specifically my children at least, is they, at one point, they all wanted to be YouTubers. And now if one of them wants to be a, a gaming uh, architect, a game creator. Right. Right. And so... You know, I'm like, do it because that's what's that's where things are going in the future. Well, I mean, I agree. I agree. I mean, it's going to be it's already a very big business, right? It's already a, a you know, tens of billion dollars a year business. And it's just going to continue to get quite a bit larger still. And so one of the things that that inherent in this is the way that Netflix is is placing its bets. And one of the things that we see in business far too often is, is how people get in a world in which they pre-allocate their money to the existing business and say they have no money to, to make these bets. And that's really a, a falsehood. You know, you have to decide where you put your money all the time. So are you going to continue to develop products in the current market? Are you going to, to expand your sales in the current product line? Uh, what, what are you going to take your money and put your money? Yeah, and the answer is you're probably putting a lot of it or most of it into your existing business. And that's what keeps you from placing this bet. Right. It keeps you from saying, well, I want to go make I'm going to go into gaming, for example. And what you see in Netflix is a company just like every other company. They're generating the revenues, but they're spending it on the existing business. And now they've got to say, oh, we're going to have to take money from the existing business. So all this content creation we've got going, we've got to keep that going because that's still a game we're in. But we're going to have to siphon off some money to get over here to get into gaming and go down that road. Yeah. And that's that a resource allocation is the thing that I just see people that there's not a lot of courage sometimes. So let's take, for example, Zoom. Zoom was a, you know, a decent company making a decent product. Uh, I used it before the pandemic quite a bit. And, it, you know, I had uh, some team meetings where we had people international and uh, we wanted to keep everybody involved. So we did weekly team meetings and we were using Zoom long before there was a pandemic. Of course, I was a Skype user, which is Microsoft product now, before I was a Zoom user. So the technology was there to allow us to have these kinds of interactions for a goodly while. Zoom, the pandemic hits. Zoom's kind of a favorite darling. Uh, Microsoft, it doesn't get out in front of it with Skype, and so it explodes, and the revenues start growing 200, 300, 400% per quarter, right? Just doing astronomically well. Now they're up to about a billion dollars of revenue. It'll be a billion dollar company. But this week they announced they're going to spend $14.7 billion to buy a company called Five9. And Five9 makes cloud based software for call centers, contact centers. And so the reason I think this is really fascinating is here you have a company that is doing something very right. They're on a trend, 
They're doing, you know, the, the, this type of work is going to continue. They've got competitors. There's Riverside, there's Skype, there's other people that are in the game besides Zoom. And they're looking around saying, well, what other markets are going to grow? And they, they believe fully that they, there's going to be a lot of growth in these contact centers. So what do they do? They take a big bet. Right? They're taking their, their uh, market cap is bigger than their revenues, it's multiple of sales type of a company, and they're taking, I think it's about 20% of their total market cap and spending that to buy this one organization. And, and I'm impressed with the courage to do that, to say when times are good, I am not just putting money in my old business, I'm putting money into the, what I hope to be also the next big thing. And, uh, you know, we don't see enough of that amongst people. No. Uh, we don't. You know, no, we, we certainly don't. When Facebook bought Instagram, you know, they they were they they spent something like uh, twelve ten billion dollars twelve billion dollars on a company that had no revenues, right? But they bought it because they saw the the future opportunity in Instagram. When they bought WhatsApp, they paid twenty billion dollars for a company with almost no revenues. Same deal, you know, big bet, making a big bet on something that's new that's going to come along based upon the technology, the market, the opportunity. And um, I, I really think our listeners oftentimes just don't get their minds out there thinking that you know you really do have to make these bets. You can't just sit there and wait because if you wait, you'll be late, and if you're late. You're going to get hammered. The competition is yeah. going to just over you. Exactly. Do you uh, do you remember any of Aesop's fables? Oh, wow! Off the top of my head, no. Remember, <laughs> remember the one with the lion and the mouse, with the thorn, and the mouse takes the thorn out of the you know all that. So, what my expression here is is really we learn from these fables, these parables, whatever. You know, they're not true. Uh, but we can think something from these these parables, these fables, and actually apply it to our, our own life. And I'm setting this up because I've had some uh, folks uh, give me some feedback on on what we talk about, saying, "Hey, well, these are giant global companies. You know, I I run a small, you know, 18 person tech company that you know we're, we have a very specific piece of software that is very specific towards the construction industry." How am I going to relate to what Netflix does or what Facebook does or whatever? And the, my answer is the same thing about the parables and the fables. Even though that's not real, I mean, in this case, that is real, you can take value from that. You can take value from that. The ability, well, you just said it straight out uh, of these companies that uh, they made some huge billion, multi billion dollar bets. And because they align with trends, because they're, they're aligned, they see the future and they're not willing to just stand by while it passes by, you know, right past them, they're making big bets. So for those listeners out there that run a small or medium-sized business, you've got to make a bet, a smart bet, if you really want to grow your business. And of course, we know that growth is the only thing that's going to keep you from becoming irrelevant and going by the wayside. Yeah, I, I did a Vistage group um, a few months ago, and in that group was a person who um, owned, I think it was eight Sonic restaurants, the, you know, the drive-in Sonic restaurants. They're not in every market in the United States, but they're, they're still prevalent in the West and the Southwest. That's the old A&W style drive-in, place called in your car, you talk into a box, and then somebody comes out on roller skates, you know, with a hamburger or whatever you want. And 
And it was the same sort of idea. Well, how does this apply to me? And I said, well, wait a minute. What's the future of restaurants? Right? You're going to get a big uptick. You had a big uptick in sales during the pandemic because a lot of restaurants closed. Well, here people come sit in your restaurant in their car. So when they couldn't go to a regular restaurant, they wanted to get out of the house, they came to your place. Now, what, so what is that? What's that trend? So before people said, I've got this much money to spend on groceries and I got that much money to spend on restaurants. Now they're saying, I got this much money to spend on groceries. I got this much money to spend on groceries delivered to my house. I got this much money to spend on food delivered to my house. And I got this much money that I'll spend on restaurants. So they've taken and said, the world's a bigger place. I've experimented. I got more options. Now, what are you going to do? How are you going to play in that trend? If you just keep saying, I'm going to run the same old Sonic I always had, your business will go down some because you can't keep all that pandemic-related behavior. It's going to you know, spin off in some directions. But where can you go? And what can you do? What could you, you know, should you get into the delivery business yourself? Why would you want to pay Grubhub or somebody else to make the deliveries? Why can't you deliver just like Domino's does, right? Get in that business. And then, you know, what, what could you do in terms of the product line that you have and the, and the kinds of things you sell, right? Uh, and, you know, start to think about what are the trends that are impacting your customers and what's likely to be a new opportunity for them, you know? Should you, instead of just having a drive-in place, should you have a place where people could come and take some of those drive-in allocated space and make it a place where people could sit, right? And you basically turn into more like a, a, a more typical um, uh, um, uh, you know, meatballs type of a hamburger shop, you know, or Five Guys hamburger shop, where people could come in, place an order, you go bring it to them, they sit at their picnic table and eat it. Should you be doing that? So you capture the more traditional restaurant dollar. So these concepts apply even at that level of a, of a very small business. It's really about saying, where are those trends taking the market? Where is it going to go? And how can I participate in that? And then realizing you're going to have to do some experimentation, right? Right. Um, yeah, and we remember we talked about about I think it was three or four weeks ago. I discussed the the concept of this company called Salad and Go. Yeah, it's yeah. essentially a windowless building where you order on your, on an app, and then you just pull up to the window and they hand you a salad. There's people in there chopping lettuce and doing the thing. Uh, well, that I saw that the, all those are Phoenix, and so the other day I was driving. Lo and behold, they're building a salad and go here in Tucson. <laughs> so it's, it's something's working about it, right? And so, yeah, you're absolutely right, Adam. These are companies, the Sonic, that, that could make these moves, but it's uncomfortable. It's scary. Well, you know what, Adam? That's not what we do. We're, we're Sonic, for crying out loud. We have the, the boost. We got the, uh, you know, the roller skates. We're not going to change. Right, right. I remember uh, I ran business development for the food group at PepsiCo back when they owned um, Pizza Hut and um, the Taco Bell. And when we were looking at doing home delivery, there was nobody in Pizza Hut that could be helpful. I mean, we had people who knew how to build restaurants, we had people how to hire people, but they were running what they called the Red Roof business. That's literally, they called it the Red Roof business. And I found out that I could go to the franchisees and I would say, I think we need to do something in delivery because Domino's is coming along. What do you do? And they would they would experiment. They loved to experiment. And they would try new things. And we would see what worked. And then I could pass it around between the franchisees. And so we did almost all of our product development through the franchisees. And so, again, this gets back to, you know, who's stuck and who's not stuck. In that case, Pizza Hut 
Pia Pepsi had all the resources to open the white space team and do everything, but they're so stuck in their brain with the business the way it was that they couldn't get out of it. Whereas, you know, franchisees were much more willing to be experimental and try out new things. So it was a small company that really had more opportunity to do the white space and wanted to do the white space, right? So, I think, you know, whenever you're a small business and you say, oh, I don't have the resources of a big company, say, yeah, we also don't have the arthritis. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, you're not stuck nearly as bad as those guys are, but you do have to be willing to do it. You know, and you were willing to experiment. If you're the entrepreneur founder, you experimented at the beginning, right? So why did you stop experimenting? If your parents were the entrepreneur founder, well, they had to experiment. Why should you stop experimenting? And and right. we can see that you know that some of these founders that we really idolize, like Elon Musk and and Jeff Bezos and and uh, uh, Sir Richard Branson, they never stop experimenting. Now you might like some of those and hate some of those, you know, depending upon the, what, what's, what your mindset is. But the reality is them, as well as Steve Jobs, they were, they were very much believed in experimenting, trying new things, getting into new markets, building on trends. And that's really a mindset. The, when you say, I don't have the resources, I don't have the money, I don't want to go do the new thing, that's a mindset. It's not a fact. It's a mindset because you can get the money if you just try to reallocate the resources you have and put them in different places. When I, uh, when I was in Vistage, one of the first realizations that I had sort of opened my eyes was, uh, you know, there was about a dozen CEOs in this group. I was part of them and I was among the smallest of the companies that were there. I was, my revenues were less than 5 million. Uh, we had people in there that had, you know, five to 10, 10 to 50, and we think we had a probably like a $75 million company, maybe $100 million. And what I realized very quickly is I, I came, I was a little bit gun shy at first to, to sort of open up about my own issues because I thought, well, here I am, you know, my revenues are less than five and yours are over 50. How do we relate? But I, what I soon realized is we all had the same problems. The only difference was a zero. I had a $5 million problem and they had a $50 million problem. One zero. That was the only difference. They had HR issues. I had HR issues. I couldn't find the right resources. They couldn't find the right resources. They had issues with customers paying. So did I. And it was all the same issues. And so I learned very quickly, you know what? It doesn't matter if you're a, a small company or if you're a, a publicly traded company, you're going to have the similar issues and you can relate. You can learn from, from those that have been there or, or, in, or currently in that. Yeah, and it, it really do have to, um, I want to say it again, you have to take your bets, right? You can't sit there and hold back all the time because the reality is every day you're in business, you're ending, you're ending up. You're, you're going out there and you're ending up. And, and over time, if you don't find, if you don't place some bets, you'll just burn up your money with the ante, right? You're doing the same thing over and over again, spending that money every single day. It's best to sit down and say, you know, I'm not getting that great of a return on what I'm doing, or there's an opportunity. Where could I get a greater rate of return? And go there, right? Just go there. It's kind of like, you know, I've known investors that will buy a stock, and it didn't work out. They had an idea, and they bought some stock, and it didn't work out. And then they'll sit there and say, I'm not going to sell it until I get back to break even. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. You're down a bit. You know where you want to put your money. Why would you wait? Why wouldn't you go ahead and sell, take the loss, and put it in the other thing, which you anticipate will do very well? And I'll be like, well, because I don't want to take the loss. So I'm going to wait until I get back to break even. 
I had been running an experiment on this with the, the team I met out of, uh, out of Colorado about four years ago, and they were very much going to me about that kind of thing. And so we started tracking, and I said, look, if I could put my money somewhere, it would be around the FANG stocks. And they wanted to put their money in uh, oil and gas-type uh, businesses. And I said, okay, because those paid really high dividends, and they were kind of beat up and out of glory and all this kind of stuff. And um, to this day, they're still trying to get to break even. This is not real money. This is fake money, you know. But they're, they're trying to get to break even. Whereas if they had taken the losses after the first year and put it in the FANG stocks, oh, they'd be well above break even by now, right? And, and again, it's a mindset. It's this thing of, I put this money into this business. I'm this far into it. I can't walk away. I can't give up. I can't stop investing. I got to make it work. You know, I got to get my money back on that. And you sit and say, well, wait a minute. Do you have a better opportunity somewhere else? And if so, then you're just carrying that baggage. So, so you know, just don't let it turn into an anvil on you. <laughs> let go. Yeah. Let go. You know, because it, it'll drag you to the bottom of the sea. <laughs> so I invite all of our listeners, all of our viewers to anytime they use the word can't, cannot, to replace that word cannot with choose to and see how that feels. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, hey, Adam, I can't close down my, my Mexico operation. I, got, I just can't because of X, because Y, because of Z. So let's instead change the word to I choose to not close it down. Mm-hmm. So that will hopefully start to loosen your thinking about, well, shit, I'm choosing not to do that. Right, right, right. Well said. Well said. So are you going to take a, a nickel and put it back into your Nickelodeon or are you going <laughs> to take that nickel and go put it towards something that's coming in the future? I am um, kind of building on that. I like to watch a show where these guys out of Iowa go around. They call it pickers. They go around buying antique stuff. Some of it looks a lot like junk, and they buy it from some guy, and then they put it in a shop, and they sell it, apparently. It's kind of fun to watch because I see them find lots of stuff that I think is completely valueless, and apparently they get some money for it. But then I go, and there's another show, uh, uh, Antique Roadshow. And Antique Roadshow has been around so long that they run a lot of programs now where they'll say, well, we were in Austin, Texas uh, in 2008, and here's the show. And they'll say, okay, here's a piece of furniture, and it was – evaluated it being worth $12,000. And then they have a pause and they'll tell you what the most recent appraisal is. You know, did it go up or did it stay the same or did it go down? And it's shocking because well over half the time, the, the items have gone down in value, right? And it was one of these things you look back and you say, well, the Antiques Roadshow was interesting. People were really fascinated to find out something grandma gave me was worth money. And so, you know, it was like hanging on to these antiques that, that they go up in value. But what happened was the more people watched Antique Roadshow, the more people got grandma's stuff. And all this thing that was in the closet came out of the closet. And so what was very rare became a lot less rare. And what also happened was people that were trying to, say, complete a collection completed the collection. So they didn't need any more of it. And so over time, almost all of that, with rare exceptions, and there's even a whole way you can define that, that... The, the things have gone down in value. And, but yet people are hanging on to antiques. If I go to some people and they'll say, they'll say well, oh, that, I bought that, that, that shift robe over there, or I bought that table, and you know, it's a, it was made in 1842, blah, 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 and I paid $8,000 for it, and I wouldn't take a less than 10000 for it. And I'm kind of like, oh, that's really too bad because you're never going to get it. <laughs> 
you're going to die. And, you know, I hope you like the table yeah. a lot. Or maybe you do. And that's great. You know, you don't want to sell because of sentimental value. That's great, too. But if you're hanging on to it just because you want to try to get more money out of it, yeah, you know, maybe no. you ought to just let it go. Yeah, it was it's, an it's definitely a mindset. There was an app that came out a couple of years ago called Let It Go. I never used it, but the idea was if you've got it, you put it on this app and somebody would buy it and you could let it go. Um, oh, that's a great idea. It didn't fit my life at the time, but <laughs> like a lot There's of people a, hold on too long. It's a mindset. It's always the mindset. It is. It's a mindset. There's a great book I read a long time ago. See, I my grandparents, uh, especially on my dad's side, were uh, uh, my great-grandparents. My great-grandmother passed away very young. So my great grandfather was had to raise like nine children by himself, and so they they really struggled. It was they were basically starving. It was like starvation. Uh, so my grandfather, you know, almost died essentially. So as he grew older, he became a hoarder, and he had a bunch of farming implements and equipment and just like random things. And as a, as a nine year old kid in his uh, you know at the farm, I'd love it because I could play with old miner ha- helmets and this and that, and just had a bunch of stuff. And so I kind of, uh, I was, I didn't, I'm not saying I was a hoarder, but as I grew, as I grew older, I was accumulating stuff as well. And I realized, what is all this stuff? Do I really need this? So somebody recommended this book called Clutter's Last Stand. It's a very funny book, uh, but I read Clutter's Last Stand and a lot of the mindset in there is, you know, let it go, let it go. And that whole mindset really has permeated through my adult life in that, okay, yeah, I could really use this Altoid box for some some little something down the, the way, or I can just throw it away and be done with it. So I, I gave uh, the keynote address to the uh, Storage Unit Association of America. I may not have the name right, but it was people who buy, build, and operate uh, use store type facilities, right? These storage bins, 5x5s, 5x10s, 10x20s, that sort of stuff. And so the night before the key, keynote, I was having dinner with the, the board and talking to folks. And I and uh, I started asking about the business, and they said, "Oh, we've done all kinds of studies." They said, "You know, the average, we know that if somebody has kept a storage unit for over three months, it's almost guaranteed that what's in the storage unit is worth less than what they've spent on storage." <laughs> wow. He said, "The only way it really makes sense is if you really aren't moving, and you need to store something like all your goods or a bunch of your goods for a month during a move. Then you put it in and you take it out. They said, but when you get to the point that you've got a storage unit and it's just sitting there and you're keeping stuff in it, it's going to be very rare, very rare that somebody is using that in a way that really makes sense to where it's a payoff for you. He said, they would almost always be better off to just take it to the trash because of what it costs them to keep it in the storage unit. So... Uh, I think a lot of people need to think that way. You know, how much are you spending to keep something in your house, to keep it around? What's it costing you in terms of money? Or maybe just in terms of, you know, I could use that space for something else or it clutters up my life. Or, you know, just think of, you know, maintenance that I might have to do on it, moving it every so often, keeping it clean. You know, those kinds of things. There's a point we ought to just say, just just walk away. Just walk away. Exactly. And let's uh, let's close out here by bringing it all together. Uh, with respect to these companies like Netflix and Zoom making these bold moves. And in essence, they're walking away from something that's no longer serving them, no longer, uh, you know, maybe it's going to help the, uh, to bridge the gap. But eventually, there's going to be uh, greener pastures if you just keep your eyes open and really look at where trends are, are going in the world. That's so right. With and that- if you hold off, Manny, wait a minute. Everybody, on the 27th, we have a special guest 
Frank Cespedes from the Harvard Business School, sales management um, that works. He's going to be doing our podcast with us. So everybody on the 27th, be sure to check us out. It's 8 o'clock in the morning, the 27th. Frank Cespedes, sales management that works. We're going to get real de- practical, really, really practical with Manny talking about sales, sales processes, and how to sell more stuff. Don't, don't miss it. It's going to be a great podcast. Uh, hope to see you there. Again, go to our website, sparkpartners.com. Uh, you know, our course is, is doing well. We want uh, you to, to be sure to check out our course, Think Innovation, and uh, check on how it can help you to grow your business and change your mindset to think like an innovator. Take care, Adam. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.